I want to talk with you today about how Bible prophecy is revving up. So much so that it's the likes of which we've never before seen, nor will ever again see. Now, I realize that saying this in this way can come off somewhat provocative and sensational. That is not my intent. The truth of the matter is, this is the truth. And it's my hope and my prayer, and the Lord knows my heart, that today's update, like all the updates over the years, will have the effect of bringing Jesus to people and people to Jesus. So I want to get started, and I want to draw your attention first to the book of Revelation, the third chapter. I want to read you a letter. This is one of seven letters that Jesus had John write. The year is about 95 AD, and the Apostle John has been banished to the island of Patmos, uh, about 50 miles off the coast of modern-day Turkey. And Jesus has him write these letters to seven physical churches that were there at the time. And one of those letters was to the church in Philadelphia. And that's the one that I would like for us to look at, beginning in verse 7, Revelation 3. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works, verse 8. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have, and I want you to hang on to this for a moment, a little strength have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, verse 9, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you, because, verse 10, you have kept my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial, same word translated tribulation, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, verse 11, I am coming quickly. That word quickly in the original language of the Greek New Testament is tacos. You're waiting for me to say tacos. I love tacos, but that's not what this is. <laughs> 
tacos, where we get the English word for our tachometers in our cars. It is a word that signifies and describes a measurement of time, a set time, but that which will lead up to that time. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am coming at a time when things are revving up. So guys, this is a guy thing. Women, you'll just give us a break here for a moment. But you know those tachometers, 6,000, 7,000 RPMs. Can't go too much more because then you, you're going to blow up. But that's the point. Because see, when Jesus says this, He's saying, uh, I'm coming at a time when things blow up, but you're going to go up. Okay, I'm just going to leave that there between you and the Holy Spirit. He's describing what it's going to be like at the time of the end. And then He's encouraging them again, and He says, hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Him who overcomes, verse 12, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. And then verse 13, it ends as all the letters end. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, beginning in verse 3. We affectionately refer to this as the Olivet Discourse. We're told, verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to Him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? Now, they're asking Him, in effect, three questions, the first of which is, when will this happen? When will what happen? Well, He just got done telling them that that temple that they were just, I mean, so impressed with, so much so that they're pointing it out to Jesus there on the Mount of Olives. And for those of you that have been to Israel, that's the best view. And there's the temple. And depending on the sun shining on it, that gold was just magnificent in its brilliance. And the disciples are pointing it out. And Jesus says to them, well, I'll get a good look at it, because there's coming a time when not one stone on that temple that you're so impressed with will be upon another. And that prophecy would actually be fulfilled in the year 70 AD. And every single one of those stones, tons, the weight of those stones, tons, they were taken down because of the gold that was in the middle that they wanted to get. The prophecy was fulfilled. And so they're asking Him, okay, you just got done telling us that this temple is going to be destroyed. There's not going to be one stone 
upon another. Uh, when's this going to happen? And then they ask two more questions. And by the way, uh, spoiler alert, Jesus does not answer their first question. He does answer their second and third question. What are the second and third questions? What will be the sign of your coming? Question number two. And question number three, of the end of the age. Jesus answered verse 4, watch out that no one deceives you. First and foremost, okay, I'm going to ask you a question about what are going to be the signs, what's going to mark the time of the end before I return. And the first sign to watch out for is deception. And he says, verse 5, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. I wish it said some. It says many. Many means many. I know that's deeply profound. Verse 6, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, better understood as threats of wars. But see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation, verse 7, will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. Another very interesting word in the original language of the Greek New Testament. It's the Greek word ethnos from which we get the English word ethnic or ethnicity slash race. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, in unusual places, different places. And then verse 8, he says, all these are the beginning of birth pains. What do we know to be true about birth pains? They speed up. Can I say rev up? Is that too much of a guy thing? They increase. <laughs> okay, I'm going to leave that one alone just for now. I'll come back to it later. But they increase birth pains in frequency and intensity. And here's the thing about birth pains, because I'm such an expert on birth, but I was there for all four of our children's birth. I would just want you to know. I have a great respect for my wife. I was in pain <laughs> for her. <laughs> anyway, I'm still, uh, let me come back. Um, I'm so, so traumatized by it, actually, now that I think of it. But anyway, once those birth pains start, you'll forgive me for the way I say this, but that baby's a coming. That baby's coming. Once the birth pains start, we don't know when, but the baby's coming. Could you imagine? The doctor comes into the room, the birth pains have started, said, you know what, uh, I've got a staff meeting, I've got a very important, you know, meeting, uh, I've got a lunch appointment that I've already rescheduled, I've got to go to that, can we just hold off and I'll be back? No, the baby is a coming, because the birth pains have started.
And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, once these birth pains start, and they begin to increase in frequency and intensity and start speeding up, I'm coming. I'm coming. He's likening His return to, and His coming to when the baby comes. And when those birth pains start, the baby is coming. Verse 22 of that same chapter, Matthew 24. Very important verse, by the way. Jesus is speaking. And He says, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, speaking of Israel in the tribulation, those days will be shortened. They have to be. Revelation 12, 12. This is an interesting verse. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe, a curse to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Oh, would to God that as people of God, we would know that we have but a short time. 2 Peter chapter 3. I want to begin reading in verse 3. The Apostle Peter, by the Holy Spirit, writes, first of all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, verse 4, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget, that's interesting, that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, verse 7, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly man. Verse 8, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. So six days to the Lord, 6,000 years for us. So it's been less than a week since He created Adam and Eve. Just to put it into perspective. Because we're talking about timing right now. We're talking about a timeline. We're talking about revving up and speeding up, right? And verse 9, the Lord knows 
how we think. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But, verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Answer, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and get this, speed it's coming. Speed it's coming. Wait, what? Well, you're going to have to wait till we get to Second Peter. We're almost done with First Peter. That's of course if the rapture doesn't happen first, but we're going to talk about this. What does that mean, to speed His coming? Well, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. Okay, I'm sure you noticed the common denominator with all of these prophecies, and there's others as well. But the common denominator is that they all speak to this revving up, hurrying up, speeding up, leading up to the pre-tribulation rapture. Now here's the question. What are the specific prophecies that rev up and increase in frequency and intensity. What follows, it's not exhaustive, and it's not in any particular order, but it's just a few of these aforementioned prophecies, which we'll go through quickly, tacos, <laughs> as quickly as possible. I don't want to go too quick. Let's start with this first one increasing of mockers and scoffers. This is revving up. And you know what's sad? It's not limited to the world. Rather, professing Christians are just as guilty of this. And I'll even take it a step further and as lovingly as I possibly can, say that in some ways it would almost seem that professing Christians are even worse when it comes to this mocking and scoffing of the pre-tribulation rapture and the return of the Lord. That's revving up. This is what we're going to talk about second service. It's a biggie a worsening weariness of those barely holding on. The intensity of spiritual warfare right now from Satan 
who knows that he has a short time, is revving up and off the charts. Why? Because again, he knows his time is short. Number three, this is revving up a quickening of wars and threats of wars. Would you agree that the nations of the world today are without question on the cusp of an all-out war, World War III? How about the nuclear threats? Is that ramping up? Is that revving up? You better believe it is. Here's another one. An accelerating of earthquakes and famines. Now, the data on this, <laughs> it really speaks for itself, and it is irrefutable. It is undeniable that there has been a significant increase of major earthquakes. And to the prophecy from the mouth of the Savior Himself concerning these earthquakes being in places that you would not normally have an earthquake, especially an earthquake of that magnitude, and especially since we just had one of a major magnitude. You know, over the years I've been studying Bible prophecy for well nigh 40 years and teaching it for about as long. And this is one that I've been tracking. I shouldn't use that word, tracking. That's a horrible word these days. F following. Is that better? Following this particular prophecy. <laughs> and it's so interesting because the USGS, oh, they're basically, well, I've got to be careful. We haven't gone off of, uh, hang on to that. We're going to come back to this one. <laughs> it's really interesting. But their own data their own data proves it without a doubt, not beyond a reasonable doubt. No, no doubt, unquestionable, unmistakable, irrefutable, exactly as Jesus said. Next one. This is revving up. Intensifying racism and national uprisings. Again, ethnic group rising up against ethnic group, nation rising up against nation, nation invading nation. Well, let's just take racism. One need look no further than to what we know today here in the U.S. as critical race theory. You know, uh, Thursday night, we were talking, uh, Pastor Mack and Pastor Leitu and I, and uh, I think it was Pastor Leitu made an interesting comment. I never thought about it before. So you understand that uh, Pastor Leitu is Samoan, and Pastor Mack is African-American, and I am, um, what am I? <laughs> Who am I? <laughs> well, I'm Middle Eastern. Doesn't that sound better than Arab? It does, actually. 
So Middle Eastern, we'll just kind of take the edge off a little bit. So Pastor Leitu makes this comment. I never thought about it. He's right. He goes, we're racist. I said, what are you talking about? He says, we have no pastors on staff that are white. (laughs) Well, we're fulfilling Bible prophecy. It's right here, I guess. I don't know. That's my story, and I'm sticking with it. Uh, Well, we needed that. (laughs) We needed that levity for this next one, as I'm sure you'll see, sadly. Growing divisiveness in the body of Christ. Stay with me on this, and please hear me out on this, okay? So, you know, when you read the Word of God, uh, sometimes I think we would do well to just kind of stop and ask some why questions, okay? So we know what was written to the Church of Philadelphia. We know that they were of little strength. We know that they were barely holding on. We know that the Lord's trying to encourage them. Just hold on a little bit longer. I'm coming quickly. Things are revving up. Not much longer now. Take heart. You've not denied my name. You've kept my word. The implication being that there were those who had denied his name and not kept his word. But it's this little strength thing that got me. And I want to share it with you, because the question needs to be asked, Why was this church weakened? Here God had opened up a door that no man's going to shut. And if He shut the door, no man's going to open it. And He's encouraging them and establishing them and strengthening them. Why? Because they need to be strengthened. Why do they need to be strengthened? Why? Are they lacking strength? Here's a thought. It could very well be that they were weakened and a church of little strength by virtue of the vile and vicious slander that they were on the receiving end of. Oh, come on, Pastor. Where, how, how are you getting there? Well, don't think about it. United we stand, divided we fall. Jesus said, a house divided cannot stand. So there had to have been maybe a divisiveness within the body of Christ because the divisiveness would certainly explain the weakness, the weakening, the little strength that this church had. You need look no further than to division within a church, to see a church that is barely holding on, a church of little strength. I'll just say one more thing here, and we'll move on. And please again, I, when I say things like, the Lord knows my heart, I, 
you know, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks upon the heart. And when I say it like that, what I'm trying to say to you is that I, what I'm going to say to you comes from a broken heart, because I am heartbroken over this. I see the viciousness within the body of Christ. I see the divisiveness within the body of Christ. And it's getting worse. And it's, can I use this word for lack of a better one, cannibalizing the strength of the church? Is it any wonder that the church has lost its power, its influence? You know, Jesus said that the litmus test by which they're going to know that we're His disciples is by our love one for another. Don't think for a second that Satan doesn't know that. So let's flip it around. If it's by our love one for another, that we're going to be known as disciples of Jesus, then wouldn't it stand to reason that if it's our slandering one of another? Our backbiting, our gossiping. Is it any wonder that the world wants nothing to do with the church when the world sees the church behave like this? You know, the proverb says, and I'm going a little bit further, but maybe I need to just bear with me. The proverb says that the, the need of every man, woman, and child ever born in the history of mankind from the beginning is for unfailing love. His love never fails. This is another prophecy the love of many will grow cold, so unloving. And here's this church, by the way, ironically, Philadelphia. The name is the nature. It's the Greek word phileia, where we get our word for brotherly love. This was a loving church. Jesus is the head, we're the body. You don't think this hurts the Lord? The way we treat one another.
last one. Deepening deception on a global scale. I need you to think about this, okay? Everything heretofore, nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, divisions, striving, mocking, scoffing, famines, earthquakes, et al. All of that is only temporal. But when it comes to deception, the ramifications are eternal. Let me explain. When the Lord comes and the world ends, and it's the end of the age, there's no more earthquakes, there's no more any of that. The only thing that's going to matter now is eternal life. And if the deception is that there will be those who are deceived and taken away from Jesus as the Christ, well, that has eternal ramifications. That's why it is the most important sign and the most serious sign is because the ramifications are eternal. Well, I want to expound on this for the remainder of our time together today. So at this time, we'll go ahead and end the live stream on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, I love you too. This is a loving church, yeah. <laughs> I want to begin with the meaning of the word that Jesus uses for deception in Matthew 24, verse 4. It's in the original language of the Greek. It's the word planao, which carries with it the idea of being led astray, away from the truth, and into error by way of lies and deceit. That's a pretty packed word, right? deceive. Let no one deceive you. The Apostle Paul echoes this in his epistles, in fact, replete throughout his epistles. Don't be deceived. Let no man deceive you. His second letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 2. There's going to come this powerful deception that God Himself is going to send why? Because they rejected the truth. And they've opened themselves up to the lie. It's deception, it's, it's error, it's a leading astray, leading away from the truth, the way, and the life. And there's no way to the Father except through Jesus. He's not a way, a truth, a life. He's the way, the truth, the life. He's the truth. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. So, number one, 
deception, revving up at the time of the end. Question, is deception revving up today in the world? Okay, here's a list. I had to narrow it down to five. That's not an easy do for me. I had like 105, but I, excuse me. Five demonic deceptions, which are a lie. And then I want to tell you the truth concerning said deceptions. And then I want to follow it up with Scripture. Uh, by the way, we did uh, put together a PDF file that you can download of this chart. It'll be on the website. Line number one, Agenda 2030 slash climate change. Now this one is a little tricky because there is climate change. However, they're the ones doing it. It's weather manipulation. It's geoengineering, which is the nefarious and evil agenda of destroying and thus controlling the earth, everything in the earth, and all of those on the earth. Can I go back to what I couldn't say before, when it comes to the earthquakes and the famines, by the way? They're killing all of the crops. They're burning all of the warehouses. And they're spraying all of the skies to do it. Interesting prophecy, oftentimes overlooked in Revelation chapter 11, verses 16 through 18. We've talked about it before, but basically it's a prophecy about God destroying those who destroy the earth. They're destroying the earth. They're controlling the weather. They're changing the climate to usher in sustainable development. Agenda 2030, previously known as Agenda 21. But because things are revving up, it's kind of like they had to also rev it up and move it closer. Because originally it was going to be, you know, 2050. They're like, no, it needs to be 2030 now. Um, hey, can I, how about 2025? Of course, 2030 minus seven. Anyway, that's another possibility. Apparently they have to uh, get this show on the road, and they are. And this is revving up. And we've talked about this. By the way, out front, for those of you that are here, no charge. Nothing we do is it comes at any cost. We have some materials on geoengineering from geoengineeringwatch.org, Dane Wigington. A couple of weeks ago I was listening to an interview that he did. He made a comment, really kind of hit me. He said, you know, we can avoid the injection, the poisonous 
injection, but you can't avoid the air that you're breathing in from the poison that's being sprayed in the skies. See, what they want to do is they want to, they want to kill all of the crops, all of the food supply, which we're going to talk about in a moment, so that they can have people eat genetically modified bugs, I guess. I don't know. GMO, you're familiar with GMO, right? You know what GMO stands for, right? Gen genetically modified organisms. Genetically modified organisms? I don't want that. Sounds like modifying genetics. Anyway, have a nice afternoon. We'll move on to <laughs> number two. Number two is the two-state solution. It's a lie. Here's the truth. The two-state solution is Hitler's final solution, repackaged for the extermination of the Jewish nation by the Antichrist during the seven-year tribulation. This is Zechariah chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The dividing of Jerusalem. There are other prophecies as well. Line number three, which ties into line number one, the supply chain disruption and hyperinflation. Now you have to understand that age-old principle of supply-demand. So if you've got a depleted supply and an increasing demand, you've got high prices. And conversely, if you have a good supply with a depleted demand, you have low prices, supply demand. So Satan knows he has a short time, so he's got to get these people that are his agents that I am very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm very candid about it when I say it. These are demon-possessed people. I would even argue that uh, in some cases they may not even still be human, which we're going to talk about in a moment. But these are demon-possessed people. These are evil people that have believed the lie that they're gods. It's nothing new under the sun, right? This is the lie in, in the garden. So they, they fancy themselves as gods, and they're going to live forever. So, okay, we better get busy. So we need to destroy the food supply, disrupt, interrupt the supply chain. Because now that you have no supply, but the demand hasn't changed, now the prices are going to go up. And not only that, this whole thing about inflation, 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 come on. You know what they're doing? They're just printing money. They've got their laser printer. Just, hey, we need some more money. There's another trillion. There you go. 
And so it just gets worse. If you came to church today wanting, well, we're going to get there. Maybe we'll, we'll see. I better keep moving. This is a controlled demolition, better said, disintegration of the global economy to usher in a cashless, digital, biodigital economic system. Revelation 13, 15 through 18. Line number four, the fourth industrial revolution. It's a lie. Here's the truth. In concert with the Great Reset, this is transhumanism. And it comes via the mark of the beast, which will damn and doom all who receive it for all of eternity. Well, where's that? Revelation 14, 9 through 11. See, if you're no longer human and your DNA has been altered, and you're no longer fully human in your DNA, and your DNA is not intact, well, you're unredeemable because Jesus came to redeem man, human. He became a man, fully God, fully man, to redeem man. And Satan knows this. And that's why he knows he's got a short time. He's got to get this transhumanism show on the road. And nobody's talking about this, right? Line number five. You knew this was coming, right? COVID-19 vaccination. It's a lie. First of all, it's not even a vaccine. Well, what is it then? Well, it's a genocide. It's a genocide under the banner of population control to control the population. Let me say the same thing in a different way. This so-called COVID-19, I'll use the word injection, is to kill as many people as possible to reduce the population in order to control the population. Where is that? Revelation chapter 6, really chapter 9, specifically verses 1 through 8 of Revelation 6 during the tribulation. Okay. Um, are you depressed? Don't be. There's good news. This brings me full circle to the beginning and the purpose of these updates being that of getting Jesus to people and people to Jesus. So here's the question. We talked about this last week as well. How does knowing all of this bring the lost to Jesus and the saved closer to Jesus? Is that a fair question? Answer? When we open our eyes to the revving up of the evil deception in the world, it can propel us to Jesus as the Savior of the world.
That's how. And not only does the evil in the world propel me to the Savior of the world, please listen, so too does it cause me to fall out of love with this world. You've heard it said, certainly in the context of marriage, ah, we're kind of falling out of love. We're growing apart. It's usually justification for divorce. Well, you probably know where I'm going with this, so I'll just say it. We as Christians are growing apart from the world, not our home. And dare I say, that we should divorce ourselves from this world. We're married to the world. 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Listen to the strength of this. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Whoa, wait a minute, come on. You're telling me that if I love the world, the love of the Father is not in me? No, I'm not telling you that. God's Word's telling you that. He goes on by the Holy Spirit and writes, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever, lives forever. If you would just kindly indulge me for a moment, just by way of a personal example. When our daughter Noelle was dying, the doctors pulled us into the room and gave us the talk. She was hooked up to all these tubes and machines, and they basically told us that there was really nothing more that they could do, and it was really just a matter of time that she was passing away. She was dying. It's just a matter of time now. So they gave us an option. They said, now we can keep her on the machines and the tubes, but she's still going to pass away, or we can take her off of all of those tubes, and you can hold her. Well, we opted for the latter, obviously. And for seven grueling hours, we held our dying daughter in our arms as she passed away. That's what John is saying here. Again, you'll forgive the personal reference. But we need to pull the plug. Why are we still trying to keep this world on life support? It's going to die. It's passing away. It's just a matter of time. 
let go. The hardest thing for my wife and I was to let her go. But we had to. We had no choice. The world is dying. Let it go. Let it go. James 4.4. 4. You, you've got to love James. We, By the way, we should probably get some t-shirts made for those of you that survived our verse-by-verse -verse study through the book of James. What a book. What a guy. Well, you can't blame him. He's the half-brother of Jesus. If Could you imagine growing up in a home when your half-brother is is God incarnate? I mean, he's just blunt. He says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We've sent the world a friend request. I'm sorry. That's, uh, listen, if you got a better, you know, modern day example, I'm happy to think about it and use it. But I kind of like that one, because we've friended the world and blocked God. Is that strong? It needs to be. We need to unfriend the world and block the world, and divorce the world, and let go of the world. Well, the last one is from Jesus Himself, and I mean this sums it up. John 12, verse 25. Jesus is speaking. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now let's be honest with ourselves, please. How many times have we read that, quoted that, heard that? We know that, but think about that. The paradox. You know what I mean by a paradox? It's paradoxical. I want to keep my life for eternal life. I need to lose my life in this world. That's the problem. That's the problem. We love our life too much in this world. Doubtless many are familiar with the classic hymn, Give Me Jesus, which has as its refrain the lyrics, Give me Jesus, give me Jesus. You may have all this world, give me Jesus. Here's the bottom line. 
our longing and yearning for eternal life will be proportionate to our willingness to let go of this world and lose our life. It's the only thing that comes anywhere close to an explanation as to why it is that professing Christians would not be so excited about the rapture, the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Maybe the roots of their lives are dug down too deep in the temporal soil of this world, not our home, a world that we've long overstayed our welcome in. One last thing, and then I want to end with the gospel and the ABCs of salvation as we do every week, but I want you to think through this with me. I'll frame it in a question. Does not Bible prophecy in effect force us to let go of this world? Is that not what Bible prophecy does? I know it's had that effect on my life over the years. Again, you'll forgive the personal reference, but all the years I've been walking with Jesus, oh, I've always had a love for Bible prophecy. And the one thing it's done, if you couldn't tell, <laughs> is it has just, I mean, there's no love loss with this world. I have nothing here. Nothing is tethering me here to this world. I've long ago let go and this world's not my friend either, by the way, if you haven't noticed. It's, being, it's a little more hostile to us, if you haven't noticed. And I sent them a friend request? Yeah, I'm going to delete that one, man. No, Jesus is my friend. And He's my Savior. He told me I can call Him friend. I can call Him my friend and my brother, and my Savior, and my King, and my Lord, and my God, and my everything. And He's my hope, my only hope. Jesus, just Jesus. You can have it. You're going to have to wait till the rapture, but you can have it after we're gone. You can have the whole world. What shall a profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? I've already died to myself and my life in this world. I'm done with it. There's nothing here. I want to go home. I want to see Jesus. I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, listen, Jesus cried a lot too, so. And so did Paul, by the way. So again, that's my story and I'm sticking with it. What's the gospel? Oh, it's good news. <laughs> Jesus came and He died to pay the penalty in our stead, in our place. And He was buried and He rose again, defeating death. We're going to talk about that a little bit in First Peter. 
So he rose again on the third day and he's coming back again one day. And that's the gospel. That's the good news. The word gospel means good news. Your debt has been paid. You're free to go. And whom the Son has set free is free indeed. What are the ABCs? Just a simple childlike explanation. It's something to have at the ready. Should the Lord ever give you the profound privilege of sharing the gospel with someone and leading them to Christ? It's just one way. The A is for admit or acknowledge that you have sinned, that you are a sinner, that you need the Savior. Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. And Romans 3.23 tells us why. It's because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We were all born sinners, which is why Jesus said we must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. Romans 6.23 starts with the bad news first and then the good news after. What's the bad news? Well, there is a wage, a penalty for sin, and we've all sinned, and it's death. The wages of sin is death. It's the death penalty. We've all been sentenced to death. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Jesus comes and says, I'll die for you. I'll die for you. I'll pay the penalty for you. I'll pay in full and purchase you, redeem you, and then offer you this gift that I paid for in full, the gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the A, here's the B, and this is so central. In fact, it's so simple. It's as simple as B, not just A, B, C. Believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. And the C lastly is for call upon the name of the Lord. Or as Romans 10, 9 and 10 also says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And here's why. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And lastly, Romans 10, 13, all who call upon the name of the Lord <laughs> will be saved. It's that simple. It's childlike simple. Believing in your heart. And when you believe in your heart, the expression is to call upon Him and be saved. I implore you today, if you're here in this church or watching online, and you've never put your trust in Him, believing in Him, calling upon Him, I implore you today. Today is the day of salvation. Please don't delay the most important decision you'll ever make in your life for eternal life. Well, I'm really looking forward to today's But God testimony. It comes from Sonia in Australia, <laughs> sorry, who writes, Good day from Australia, JD. You have taught me a lot, 10 years now. Wow, haven't things changed since I first started watching you on YouTube. I have grown in faith and learned so much from you, JD. Thank you. Throughout COVID, you kept strong in the faith and prophecy, the truth. 
while others walked with the narrative. Truly a man of God. Wow, God is awesome. I've been a Bible-believing Christian for 10 years now. How the Lord can answer prayer and save loved ones is just magnificent. My father was an atheist. I dearly love my father. We were very close. He fell ill and dad would pray with us as we prayed over him over the years. He collapsed and was hospitalized and required a blood transfusion as he was hemorrhaging to death. His specialist knew I was a Christian and said, I needed a miracle. They gave dad seven units of blood and the hemorrhaging still would not stop. Dr. Lee said to me, this is it, Sonia. There is nothing medically we can do now. Ask your father if he would like to be resuscitated if he dies. I walked over to my dear father and said, Dad, this is it. There is nothing Dr. Lee can do. If you die, would you like them to resuscitate you? Dad said, yes. I'll give it one last kick. Cheeky man. I then said to Dad, Dad, do you want to give your life to Jesus? He said, yes. I remembered the ABCs of salvation. And Dad happily acknowledged the ABCs, and we prayed together. Knowing Jesus was his Lord, God, and Savior, my heart was settled for my father. And in that moment, my cheeky father said, Sonia, you know, I've done a lot of naughty things in my life. I said, Dad, that's all behind you now. God has forgiven you. He smiled. We prayed, and Dad was at peace. But God, the hemorrhaging had stopped within the hour. Dr. Lee said, it was a miracle. Hmm. <laughs> I happen to know a God of miracles. <laughs> Get this, Dad lived for another eight months being faithful in prayer and praising Jesus, something I'll never forget. God bless Dad with the best care, which we praise and thank God for. I had asked the Lord when it was time for Dad to leave us that he would not suffer greatly and that I may be present with him at that time. But God, my father was on no painkillers. The nurses said they had never seen this in a patient with cirrhosis. It's normally a horrible and painful death. I was blessed to stay with dad when he fell into a deep sleep. He was slowly losing breath whilst I kept praying and singing psalms, holding dad's hand day and night. That morning dad took his last breath. He opened his eyes and then went to be with the Lord. I have learned to just give everything to the Lord, but in thanks and praise. It gets better. <laughs> My husband said he believed in God. Though I study eschatology, my husband always thought I was taking it way too seriously, especially the rapture. He thought the rapture was 50 years away, not in our lifetime. Then COVID hit. Well, then the Lord had opened my husband's eyes and ears to his word. He sees it all and understands it now. 
our church recently had a baptism and my daughter was baptized. Then right at the last minute, my husband got baptized too. Wow. I always prayed for my daughter and husband to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Just give everything to our magnificent, holy, glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Sorry it's a long one. That's okay. I feel your pain. <laughs> God bless you, Brother JD, and online family, church family. Love Sonia and family from Australia. Thank you for being faithful and true. Praise the Lord. Why don't you stand? We'll close in prayer and song. Thank you again so much for your patience. Father in heaven, Oh, we love you so much, Lord. It's impossible, really, this side of glory to express to you how much we love you. We have all of eternity <laughs> to worship you, to praise you, to love you, to thank you. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for your love in that while we were yet sinners, Jesus, you died for us, paid the penalty for us. And you, you didn't just leave us at that. <laughs> you promised us that you go to prepare a place for us, and that you're going to come and get us and take us to that place so that where you are there, we will be also. And so, Lord, we can't wait. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.